Well, let us continue in worship by opening our Bibles to Exodus chapter 20. And this morning we are considering together verse 12. Exodus 20, verse 12. Please consider this morning the reading of God's word. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word, which fills our hearts with hope. It convicts us of our sin, and it leads us to the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, this morning we ask that you will redeem sinners, that you will continue, Father, to sanctify saints, and that through it all you will exalt the name of your Son. And it is in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, I just have one main point, one main thought for you to consider this morning, and then we will work that out. The main thought, the main point, the central argument for today is very simple. We have been singing for a few minutes about the glory of the gospel, the glory of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. in the salvation of sinners, we have remembered the resurrection of the Lord. He defeated death. Well, the point that I want to make this morning is that the outworking of the fifth commandment, the outworking of the fifth commandment is probably the greatest evidence that this is true. The outworking of the fifth commandment, the practical reality of obedience to the fifth commandment is probably the greatest evidence that the Lord Jesus is actually alive and reigning in the world. It's about the family. It's about the family. Few things can prove the power of the gospel, like well-ordered, God-honoring, gospel-centered families. So as we dive in, let me make a few general observations. If you're following along your sermon notes, a few general observations as we prepare, uh, set the stage for considering the fifth commandment. The first observation is this. We have entered the second table of the law. We have entered the second table of the law. In other words, we have now entered the second half of the Ten Commandments, which deals primarily with what? Our human relationships, our human relationships. The first table of the law, meaning the first four commandments were all about our relationship to God. Beginning with commandment number five, however, the focus now changes to our relationship with our fellow human beings. We are moving from our vertical relationship with God to our horizontal relationship with men. The second observation is this. The first table of the law is preeminent over the second table of the law. Or to put it differently, when our obedience to the second table of the law comes into conflict with our obedience to the first table, the first table must prevail. The fifth commandment is a perfect example of this. If parents are leading children into, say, idolatrous behavior, 
then the fifth commandment takes the back seat. We'll look at this particular point in a few minutes. The third observation is this. The first table is the foundation of the second table. The first table of the law is the foundation of the second table. All our human relationships are the outflow of our relationship to the Lord. In other words, what we do with commandments five through 10 will be determined by our standing before God. What I'm trying to say is this. You cannot seek to honor the second table of the law, meaning you can't pretend to love your neighbor as yourself if you skip or ignore the first table of the law. You can't love your neighbor as yourself without first knowing what it means to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, none of which can be done apart from faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The fourth general observation I have is this. As we study God's law, we cannot afford to forget the gospel. As we study God's law, we cannot afford to forget the gospel. Only in Christ Jesus do we have the strength to obey God's commandments because in Christ we have a new life imparted to us by the Holy Spirit. As you can see, we are Trinitarian Christians. Our life is God himself. And both our desire and our ability to keep God's commandments come from the same source, the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, as it transforms us in the likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ. So to study God's commandments, detached from the gospel of grace is burdensome, for outside of Christ, the law can only condemn us. But in Christ, my brothers and sisters, the law is our delight, only in Christ Jesus. Remember, we obey the imperatives by resting on the, what? Indicatives. Thank you, Jesse. You remembered. I will retain, return to that point at the end. And the fifth and final observation is this. All of life happens in the context of relationships. All of life happens in the context of relationships. Notice with me how you simply cannot live your life outside of a relationship. It is an impossibility. This is true even for unbelievers. Some people teach that unbelievers don't have a relationship with God at all. I would argue that they do. They do. It is just a relationship of enmity as opposed to friendship. But all of us, believers and unbelievers alike, are born into a relationship. Therefore, you can't separate sin from either your relationship to God or your relationship to men. Sin always corrupts relationships. Do you realize that? That's the only way we can understand sin. Sin always corrupts relationship, either your relationship to God or your relationship to men. But sin cannot be detached from relationships. Sin always corrupts relationship. You simply can't escape living your life in the context of a relationship. So the Ten Commandments are a reminder of this truth. Now with all those general observations in place, 
Let's now dive in and give our undivided attention to the fifth commandment. Let us read it again. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Now, I preached uh, on Ephesians 6, 1, 2, and 3 about six months ago. So technically, I could, I could have preached the same sermon. But I'm not going to do that, although I am going to borrow some ideas from myself, okay? And I'm going to tell you when I do that. Uh, but I thought it was critical for us to understand this commandment within its, old, its own Old Testament um, context. Here's the first point. Consider with me the unique placement of the fifth commandment. Consider with me the unique placement of the fifth commandment. The first thing that I want to bring to your attention concerning this commandment is the very prominent place this commandment has been given within the 10 commandments. Notice that it is the first one in the second table of the law. It is the first one. The fifth commandment is the commandment out of the 10 God chose to transition us from looking to our vertical relationship with him to now enter into our horizontal relationship with men. In other words, this particular commandment is the bridge between the first table of the law and the second table of the law. As such, I believe this commandment has been given prominence within the second table of the law. Now, you understand what I'm talking about, the first and the second table of the law, right? I'm kind of taking it for granted. Or I think I mentioned it already, right? I mentioned it? You're not sure? I'm not sure it again, just in case, right? The first table of the law, we're talking about the first four, four, four commandments, right? All to do with God. And the second table of the law is all about human relationships, beginning with commandment number five. Okay? There we go. Now, just like the first commandment, is prominent within the first table of the law, for it sets the course for the rest of the table. Likewise, the fifth commandment is prominent within the second table of the law, for it also sets the course for the rest of the table, of the second table. Or to put it a little differently, the fifth commandment is the one commandment that it is a type of bolt on which our obedience to the entire second table of the law hinges. In case I'm not making sense, let me see if I can say it differently. Our love for God, which is the summary of commandments one through four, our love for God and our love for neighbor, which is the summary of the commandments five through 10. Both of these loves, listen to this, both of these loves for God and for neighbor are nurtured and cultivated within the home. It is no mystery then as to why the apostle Paul and other apostles such as Peter spent so much ink writing on the issue of the family. Neither is it a mystery as to why Satan is seeking to destroy it. And what we're seeing today is a satanic effort to destroy the family, in particular as it pertains to children honoring their parents. Now, hopefully this has been a good enough setup for my next point, 
When we consider the unique placement of the fifth commandment, we are naturally led to consider also the foundational role of the fifth commandment, the foundational role. Let me see if I can make sense of what I'm saying. The Lord Jesus was very clear when he divided the law into two loves, as I already mentioned, love for God and love for neighbor. Now, as I mentioned, we are now in second greatest commandment territory, right? We are now in second greatest commandment territory. We looked at the first commandment, the greatest commandment of all, love the Lord your God, the first four commandments. Now we have entered the second greatest commandment territory. Since this is the case, and since the fifth commandment marks the beginning of the second table of the law, then honoring parents is where love for neighbor begins. Are you following what I'm saying? Honoring parents is where love for neighbor begins. The second greatest commandment begins at home. Have you ever considered that point? Think about it. If love for God begins with the first commandment, which is the confession of God's exclusivity, then love for neighbor begins with the fifth commandment, which is the acknowledgement of and submission to God's design for human flourishing, the family. I would venture to say then that the fifth commandment in that sense is foundational for what comes after it. If the fifth commandment is where love for neighbor begins, then what happens in the home in terms of child-parent relationships can determine the course for all the rest of your human relationships. Everything else. Yes, my friend, what happens in the home can set the course for your entire life. The home is the perfect training ground for learning what it means to love neighbor as we love ourselves. Why? In the home, we can learn some of the fundamental principles of love, such as submission to authority, selfless service, patience, sharing, etc. Now, consider with me the consequential nature of this commandment. Uh, and I want to move uh, in, in concentric circles, right? This is very, very obvious, very, very logical. What happens in the home can determine, first of all, the future of an individual as he is influenced by words, actions, and attitudes within the home, right? That's the first circle. But then you can move a little out from that. Next, what happens in the home can determine the future of a family as they share time, words, and ideas together. And then you can move out a little more. Next, what happens in the home can determine the future of different educational structures in society, such as schools, colleges, and universities, as those individuals eventually become teachers, right? And next, what happens in the home can determine the future of entire nations for all political leaders. All political leaders are the product of a home's influence. And finally, what happens in the home can determine the well-being of the church for its leaders are also the product of the home. In short, every area of life is touched by the fifth commandment. Now we'll return to that point as we enter into our next main point. Consider with me the comprehensive duties of the fifth commandment. The comprehensive duties of the fifth commandment. Honor 
your father and mother. Have you noticed what is different about this commandment as opposed to the rest of the commandments in the second table of the law? In case you haven't noticed it, let me help you. It has to do with the language employed. It has to do with the language employed. In case you haven't noticed it still, let me help you a little more. Commandments 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10 are all presented to us in the negative. All of them. Commandment number five, however, is the only one presented in the positive. So six through 10, you shall not, you shall not, you shall not. Commandment five, do this, do this. Of the commandments in the second table of the law, this is the only one presented as an active pursuit as opposed to something we abstain from. The commandment could have been written like this. You shall not dishonor your parents, right? It could have been written like that. You shall not dishonor your parents. And that would have made sense to us, especially in light of the other five. But this is not the case. It is written as the active doing of something, which means that at a basic level, honoring our parents is not passive. So what do we make of this? Well, the first point in honoring our parents is this. Honoring begins in the mind. Honoring begins in the mind. Honoring our parents begins with our estimation of who they are. But this is quite logical, isn't it? Before you care about something, whatever that might be, you need to appreciate it. In other words, you need to think highly of something before you will want to care for it. This is what honoring parents is all about. It is about thinking rightly of your parents. As I said, honoring begins in the mind. You cannot disassociate honoring parents from your thoughts regarding them. Your treatment of an attitude toward your parents is directly informed by your thoughts about them. Therefore, honoring parents is connected to thinking rightly of them. The opposite is also the case. Disobedience to parents is normally what? The manifestation of improper thoughts about them. So how should we think of parents? Well, four basic angles here. Parents are placed over us for the sake of instruction, correction, provision, and example. And these four are the guardrails for the rest of your life. The biggest tragedy that a child can encounter is to be missing all of these. In fact, every time I, I go to Guatemala on a mission trip and I interact with those boys and girls, I'm always confronted by that life-altering reality, right? That's one of my questions every time I go. How can the children flourish when so many of them are missing these four parent-provided blessings of instruction, correction, provision, and example? As children must learn to think rightly of their parents in terms of their calling. It is a very high, high calling. They are a gift from God to us for the sake of shaping us, molding us, leading us in the right path. And here and then is where honoring parents begins. You must esteem them for their unique and high calling. It begins in the mind. 
But this is followed by practical obedience, of course. Now, we're not going to go into too many details, but we need to keep this in mind. Honoring our parents begins with the mind, and it is followed by a life that is consistent with the high estimation of them. Children must value their place and the role parents have been given in their lives and live accordingly. But it doesn't end there. Let me also say this. As I mentioned, the fifth commandment is highly, highly comprehensive and consequential for all of life. It touches every area. In fact, it is easily discernible that the moral collapse, the moral collapse of our society, which we are seeing manifested in different places and in different ways, happens when the value and role of parents is diminished in the eyes of the younger generation. This is an important point to make, and we must remember it. Consider how in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul speaks about the schemes of the devil. One of those schemes is Satan's ongoing efforts to distort what? You need to put the belt of truth. What is Satan seeking to do? Well, distort the truth. And the truth he is seeking to destroy and distort includes, my brothers and sisters, the truth about the family, meaning the God-given structure for the home in which parents have authority and children obey. Satan is doing what he can to redefine and manipulate those truths. Make no mistake about that. And what happens, what happens when Satan successfully does this? What happens when Satan successfully redefines the family? You know what happens? Two words. Romans 1. Romans 1. Romans 1 happens. Now, I understand the following fact. A society's moral collapse begins with the exchange of what Paul talks about in that chapter. People begin to exchange the glory of God for the glory of creatures. Idolatry. So the starting point of any moral collapse begins with the breaking of the first table of the law. Once that happens, we begin to see symptoms of such as sexual immorality, gender confusion, the exaltation of the autonomous self, seared minds, etc., etc. But one of the symptoms, one of the symptoms which Paul included on that list in Romans 1 is this one, Romans 1 verse 30, disobedience to parents. In the same verse, Paul mentions also the sin of hating God. In the mind of Paul, disobedience to parents is as serious as hating God. Well, what is the big deal? I want to make two points here, two sub points. First, it is a big deal, obviously, at a basic level, because this is a commandment from the Lord, the breaking of which will send people to hell. But second, lack of submission to parents in the home is a recipe for societal chaos. The home is where we learn to respect authorities 
and live orderly lives. If you begin to break the home, you begin to break a society. If you begin to break the home, you begin to break a society. What happens in the home eventually expands into every area of life, even politics. Brothers and sisters, it is quite incredible the amount of power God has placed upon the family unit. I read that in 1920, a man by the name of Bronislaw Malinowski coined the term nuclear family. Have you heard of that term? The nuclear family. The idea of the term was to explain the key elements of a family. And Malinowski defined the nuclear family as consisting of a father, a mother, and children. That's the, the core of the family. But there is something else I like about that term, the nuclear family. It reminds me of the fact that families also act like nuclear bombs. They do. Nuclear bombs are man-made devices meant to release immense amounts of energy for the purpose of destruction. Nuclear families are God-made units meant to release immense amounts of influence upon the world. And nothing can be more powerful in the world than God-honoring families where parents have authority and children obey. This is how society is either built or broken. But in all of this, we can miss the next point, the next point. Consider with me the implied mutuality of the fifth commandment. The implied mutuality. Honoring our parents assumes certain truths about the parents. What truth? Well, the truth that parents are leading children into the knowledge of the truth and godly living. Should parents fail to lead their children in this way, then we need to be careful how far we take this particular commandment. For instance, a dad or a mom who are always instigating ungodly behavior in the life of the children, they are not to be honored in the fullest sense of the word because honor does involve the element of obedience and submission as we saw. Remember that in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul says that obedience must be in the Lord, which means that it can never be against the Lord. So the fact that children are commanded to honor their parents implies the parental responsibility of guiding, instructing, and molding in accordance with the truth. This means several things. I just want to highlight two. First, this means this. Parents need to be aware of cultural trends that are meant to destroy the next generation. This is part of your responsibility as a, as a parent. Yes, parents need to be aware of cultural trends that are meant to destroy the next generation. Yes, it is true. After all, Satan is called the God of this world. Parents, we need to understand and deal with the fact that the world is not a neutral place. 
The world is not a neutral place. This is why Paul almost used personified language when in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2, he described the world as something that can be followed. The world as something that can be followed. The world has a course, a trajectory, and it can be followed. What is the course of this world? Well, let me just give you one example. The San Francisco Men's Choir, which is a community of gay men, came up with a video in which they explicitly stated the following words, and I quote, We will convert your children. We are coming for them. End quote. Nice, isn't it? What is the point? Well, the point was this. We will turn your children into fair, loving people unlike you. Unlike you. We will change the way they think of us, meaning the LGBTQ plus people. They will grow to like us. Now, you may say, well, that's just kind of an isolated event. No, no, I believe there is an agenda, and Satan is behind this. Satan is behind this. So, parents, how will you respond? Knowing the times and how to respond is a critical ingredient of godly parenting. This means, among other things, that parents need to beware of the ongoing efforts to, listen to this, normalize Sin. Normalize sin so that we become desensitized to it. This is the number one strategy that I believe is taking place in the world right now. The normalization of sin. And I can, I can guarantee you this. Some of your kids right now in this building are beginning to think of homosexuality, for example. It's not a big deal. They're beginning to buy into this narrative that I believe is inspired by Satan himself. We must beware of the ongoing efforts to normalize sin so that we become desensitized to it. Parents must be on alert. Second thing, the second thing is this. Parents, your main responsibility is to know the gospel and know it well. This is parental discernment. And it might just be one of your children's greatest needs from you. Parents, we cannot afford lack of discernment. What is discernment? As Charles Spurgeon once said, discernment is not just about knowing right from wrong. It is also knowing right from almost right. Almost right. It's a big difference. There will always be messages out there claiming to be gospels, but in reality, they are not. Parents, as Hebrews 5.14 says, you must have the powers of your discernment well trained by constant practice in order to distinguish good from evil. We live in very dark times. Your children need this from you, your Discernment. At the end of the day, consider this with me. The family, the family was explicitly included in the Ten Commandments for the following reason. And I said this six months ago, so I'm quoting myself, I guess. From the very beginning, from the very beginning, 
the crucial agents for the effective spread of gospel truth in the world have been parents, not pastors, not the apostles, not ministers, parents. And this hasn't changed. Why is this the case? The answer is very simple and straightforward. If gospel truth is lost within the home, it will eventually be lost elsewhere. Remember, the family is nuclear, has a lot of power in it to influence, but this nuclear power can also be used negatively. So we must watch and pray for the well-being of our families. Let me share with you some of the words that I shared with you six months ago from William Gurnall as he counseled parents in the Christian Incomplete Armor. Let me give you just four words that he gave to parents. Parents, consider this with me. Your relationship to your children demands that you care for their souls. Your relationship to your children demands that you care for their souls. This is why God placed you over them. Listen to these words by Gurnall. And I quote, your children have souls and these God sets you to watch over. It will be a poor account at the last day if you can only say, Lord, here are my children. I bred them complete gentlemen, left them rich and wealthy. Happy if you would have left them less money, which rusts and more knowledge of God, which endures forever. End quote. Here's the second word from Garnell. Parents, what you do with your children. Listen to this. This one hurts. Okay. This one hurts, so I'm going to say it very softly. Parents, what you do with your children can be a great window into the spiritual condition of your own soul. That's a big one. Listen to these penetrating words from Gurnall, and I quote, Truly, I think that a man may call into question his own Christianity, that takes no care to acquaint his children with God and the way that leads to him. I have known some that though profane themselves have been very diligent to ensure that their children should have good education, but never knew a saint, a Christian that was indifferent whether his child knew God or not. End quote. And then finally parents, the early stages of your child's life are the best season in their whole life for planting in them the knowledge of God and plucking up the contrary weeds of atheism. Young weeds come up with most ease, said Gurnall. Diligent, godly parents should always pray with hope for the salvation of their children, but always within the sphere of spiritual formation, meaning by the use of discipline and instruction. In other words, you have a duty toward your children. Children are born spiritually deformed. They're cute outside. All of them, they're cute outside. No question about that. But within, they are born spiritually deformed. If we don't work diligently at shaping their souls through godly discipline and gospel instruction, these deformities will eventually harden. And just like those degenerative illnesses of the muscles that become worse over time, so also atheism 
if left unattended and unaddressed, will ultimately solidify in the heart. And this is a wonderful bridge into our next point. And we're almost done. Consider with me the specific promise of the fifth commandment. The specific promise of the fifth commandment. What is the promise? Well, honor your father and mother. What, here's the promise that your days may be long in the land that the Lord, your God is giving you. When I preached out of Ephesians one, six, one, two, and three, I said the following, this is a promise with qualified present day applications but with total eschatological fulfillment. I said that six months ago, and I know none of you remember that. That's why I'm repeating it, all right? This is a promise with qualified present-day applications, but with total eschatological fulfillment. At the end of the days, it will all be fulfilled. I still believe that sums it up really well. Feel free to go back and listen to how I explained that statement. Today, I just want to highlight once again the all-encompassing nature of the fifth commandment. What is the principle embedded in that promise? That it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is given. What is the principle embedded in that promise? The principle is this. Honoring parents is the foundation for the creation of a good land. Honoring parents is the foundation for the creation of a good land. The parent-child relationship is the number one contributor to the development and sustenance of a good society in which life can be a joy. That is the principle. That is the general principle. And it still applies today. This is why Paul mentioned it again in Ephesians chapter 6, New Testament era. It wasn't just for the Old Testament. It is also true today. God honoring families are the key to having a good land, a good society. We cannot lose the battle in the home. Therefore, it logically follows that as, there, uh, as the family goes, so goes society. Right? The fact that the Lord himself made a direct connection between the parent-child relationship and the land's ability to extend one's life means that the parent-child relationship is determinative of everything in society. From educational structures to governments, along with the policies they enforce, all of which directly influences the quality of life of an individual. It all goes back to the family. It should not surprise us then to see the collapse. Just consider this with me. It should not surprise us to see the collapse of a society that redefines the family to be whatever you want it to be. Who would have thought that much of the hardships we encounter in society can be traced back to the breaking of the fifth commandment. It affects everyday life. And finally, I'll leave you with this, the force behind the fifth commandment, the force behind the fifth 
commandment. Once again, as with all the other commandments, the force behind this particular command is not legalism, but freedom. It's not legalism, but freedom. The Israelites were to honor their father and mother because they were a people who had been freed from slavery. Interesting, isn't it? Their physical freedom from Egypt was the force behind these commandments in a much greater way. In a much greater way, our obedience to the commandments is also enabled by our freedom, the one provided in Christ and by the spirit of our God through the gospel. The Israelites were to live differently from the world because they were people of freedom. So too, we Christians are to live differently because we have been freed from sin, from death, from hell by our Lord Jesus Christ. What stands behind the fifth commandment is the greatest power in the universe, namely the love of God for us in Christ Jesus and by the spirit of our God. He is making us new and our duties toward one another in the family and our submission to those over us in the Lord is the outflow of the new reality of freedom in which we live in the power of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. So I leave you with the words themselves. I am the Lord, your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Therefore, Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. This is freedom in Christ. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this simple yet important reminder. I pray, Lord, that you will take whatever shortcomings in my presentation and redeem them and use them for your glory and for our good. Father, we do pray for our families, for the nuclear family. And we have been reminded today that you have indeed placed so much power for good in the family. Help us Lord as parents to take our duty with responsibility. And I pray for the children also who have heard this instruction that father, you will help them through the power of your spirit to apply what we heard. And then all these things we pray in Jesus name. Amen.